Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. The actor Chris Hemsworth memorably plays Thor, the god of thunder, in movie after movie. He's not only mighty, but invincible. Hemsworth recently revealed that like so many other actual humans, he's at risk for Alzheimer's disease. How does he know he's at risk, and what can he do about it? We'll find out where we are with Alzheimer's disease, including recent findings about possible prevention. That's next on Forum, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. For years, America has experienced an ongoing uptick in cases of Alzheimer's disease, a degenerative neurological disease that has neither treatment nor cure. Who will get Alzheimer's and at what age is a mystery? However, since the mapping of the human genome, what we know about the disease has increased exponentially. So where are we right now? Is there an effective test that predicts someone's genetic risk? And if you take the test, what will the results tell you specifically? If you're at risk, what can you do about it? Today, we're going to catch up with the research and information on Alzheimer's disease and answer some of your questions. Here with us today are Dr. Adam Boxer. He's endowed professor in memory and aging and professor of neurology at UCSF. He also directs UCSF's Neurosciences Clinical Research Unit and the Alzheimer's Disease and Frontotemporal Degeneration Clinical Trials, which is something I've never said before until now. Great job. (laughs) Dr. Boxer, welcome to Forum. Thank you. Dr. Christine Yaffe is professor of psychiatry, neurology, and epidemiology at UCSF and directs UCSF's Center for Population Brain Health. Thanks for being here, Dr. Yaffe. Got her. Um, well, Adam, I will start with you. Um, let's lay the groundwork for this conversation. Can you just start real basic? Like, what is Alzheimer's disease? So, Alzheimer's disease is a biological process that happens in people's brains, often as they get older, 
And it's the most common cause of a problem that we call dementia. And dementia is is a general term that we use to define people who um, have a decline in their memory and their thinking and their language or navigation skills um, over time that interferes with their day-to-day function. So Alzheimer's disease accounts for um, a large proportion of dementia in this country, but there are other causes as well. And is there a difference between Alzheimer's disease and early onset Alzheimer's? Yeah. So um, Alzheimer's disease is very common as people get older, and it's estimated that maybe 10 percent of people in the United States who are over 65 uh, may have or soon get Alzheimer's disease. But there are people who get Alzheimer's disease even in their 40s, 50s, or early 60s, and we call that early onset Alzheimer's disease. Um, rarely that's caused by a very strong genetic risk factor that runs in families, but many times we don't really know the true causes, even in people who get it in their 40s. Yeah. Dr. Yaffe, uh, you're with us now. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How about you? Thanks for being here. I'm great. Um, well, kind of playing off what we were just talking with Dr. Boxer about, can you just talk a little bit more about how Alzheimer's differs from general cognitive decline that comes with aging? Yeah, good question. And it's it's a field that's really evolving. But one of the key differences is that when somebody has dementia, including Alzheimer's, as, as Adam mentioned, uh, Alzheimer's is a subset of, of dementia, people have memory and other cognitive impairments, and it's really getting in the way of their being able to function. So whether it's professionally or, or being able to take care of their finances or do things at home, Whereas cognitive aging is something that happens to all of us, but it's really subtle and it's some mild changes in memory or maybe executive thinking or or other kinds of cognitive processes, but it's really pretty subtle and it's something that you know, maybe people could, you could get uh, formally tested and you could see it, but it tends to be something, as I said, manageable, not really affecting your day-to-day life. Okay. So- it kind of feels like everyone knows someone with Alzheimer's. Um, Dr. Yaffe, sticking with you for a second. What do we know about that? Are more people getting Alzheimer's? Are people living longer? Are we just diagnosing better? Like, what what do you think is the X factor here? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I think, uh, no, I think what it is, is um, certainly our, our understanding and our detection of Alzheimer's has increased. And, and you know, primary care doctors understand this more, et cetera. So yes, I do think we're starting to diagnose it more. And I actually think that's a good thing. But there are some demographic shifts that also account for this increasing prevalence and incidence, which which you're absolutely right about. Uh, We think a lot of that is because we're living much longer. And uh, we're seeing this now across the world, not just in the US. We, We think there's going to be a tripling of, of Alzheimer's and other dementias. And that has to do primarily with these shifts in people living longer. It also reflects somewhat demographic shifts such as the baby boomers aging and, and where the older people are in society at risk. So, you know, each society has different um, demographics, if you will. And a lot of Western societies have uh, much more, um, you know, silver tsunami, so to speak. So people living longer, but also more older people. 
Dr. Boxer, do we understand why people who have Alzheimer's react differently? Like my grandfather died two years ago. He was in his 90s. You could see the effect of Alzheimer's on him, but he was still very with it, right? He he had not, you know, and then I have a friend whose father was in full dementia, like didn't, you know, couldn't recognize friends. Like, do we have any idea why that those differences occur? Yeah, I think we do. I mean, we're, we really, um, over the past 20 years, there have been many studies relating um, both the the um, the amount of disease that accumulates in the brain after people pass away, as well as um, changes that you can measure either on MRI scans during life or PET scans during life with the symptoms that people have. And it turns out that different parts of your brain are associated with different functions. So there's one part that's really closely tied to memory, other parts that are close, closely tied to language, others to navigation. And so depending on where the disease accumulates um, biologically, that really um, often explains many of the symptoms. And then there's also a different component that um, gets to be a little bit confusing. So the nomenclature or the way we name Alzheimer's disease creates a lot of confusion. Often people who are older and get dementia, and we said, you know, dementia is a general term, are said to have Alzheimer's disease, but it, it may actually be not just Alzheimer's disease. And we know now that most people in the community who die from what's diagnosed by a doctor as Alzheimer's disease often have other contributing uh, pathologies like mini strokes or even Parkinson's related changes or other uh, proteins that are toxic in the brain that are accumulating. And that might also explain differences in different people and their symptoms. Interesting. Dr. Yaffe, I know that we want to get into some of the therapies that are being developed and and these testings. Um, And a lot of this, from my understanding, sort of our new understanding of this comes from the mapping of the human genome. Can you talk a little bit about what we've learned about this disease since, you know, that happened, that that research uh, was successful? Yeah, it's really been a, a, a wonderful breakthrough in, in many ways. Um, it's given us a lot of understanding of by tracing certain genes to what they do, then that gives us an opportunity for drug targets. And, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of some of the new drugs uh, just recently approved or, or possibly about to be approved. So one of the big breakthroughs was understanding that some of these genetic um, uh, uh, variants were linked to amyloid and amyloid processing or amyloid deposition in the brain. And amyloid, as I think we'll talk about, uh, is is uh, one of the key proteins that develops in people with Alzheimer's disease. So then the thinking is, well, if, if certain genetic variants link to greater amyloid, well, then let's try and target that. Okay. And so, um, excuse me, Sorry. my dog's barking. Um, so that's that's really how how um, uh, uh, some of the linkages are. I think Adam can talk a little bit more about um, uh, in in non genetic in non dominant families. There's some what we would call risk alleles. So not a one to one correlation to having Alzheimer's disease, but it increases your risk slightly, such things as apolipoprotein E. And those are that's another aspect of genetic progress that's that's helped us a lot, although it's not quite the one-to-one um, and, and not quite as um, amenable to drug discovery because it, it's, it's more complicated. 
All right. I want to get into the testing and therapies, um, but we just have a few minutes before the break. And Dr. Yaffe, I know you were the first expert to identify the role of modifiable risks in Alzheimer's disease. Can you talk about that? Because that's kind of a different front than what we're discussing. Uh, we're Absolutely. Be discussing. Yes. And, and hopefully we'll be able to tie this together because I think the good news is that we're getting to a place where I think Alzheimer's is hopefully going to be much more like cardiovascular disease. Well, we'll have certain drugs for different aspects, but we also need to pay attention to how we reduce people's risk. And this comes up a lot in prevention, which I think we're going to be focusing on in a little bit. So the idea is that we think there are about 30 to 40 percent of, of, of the variants of Alzheimer's and, and some other dementias, including vascular kind of dementias that are explained by these risk factors, things like hypertension, diabetes, um, poor sleep, um, uh, traumatic brain injury, for example, physical activity or, or not being physically active. All of these things we've, we've studied and we understand there's a, a, a really interesting association with increasing one's risk of getting Alzheimer's. So we think that if you could reduce those risk factors, not even completely, but but modify them, maybe, you know, 10, 30%, something like that, you could then uh, offset this risk and uh, either delay or possibly prevent getting this altogether. So I think it's a really attractive uh, avenue. We need a lot more research because it's not exactly established. Mm. We we have just finished a trial where we actually um, uh, randomly, it was an NIH funded trial, we randomly assigned half the group to, to risk reduction where we really worked with them uh, with health coaching. And so they could pick what they wanted to work on and they and they worked on these risk factors. And the other half were randomly assigned to a control group. And lo and behold, at the end of two years, we found pretty big differences in the cognitive function of, of the, the those who had the risk reduction. These were all non-demented people. They were normal yeah. cognition, but they were at risk for Alzheimer's because of their age and because of having uh, these risk factors. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. We're about to take a short break. We are talking about the advances in Alzheimer's disease research with Dr. Dr. Adam Boxer, endowed professor in memory and aging and neurology at UCSF, and Dr. Christine Yaffe. She is professor of psychiatry, neurology, and epidemiology at UCSF. We want to hear from you. Are you at risk for Alzheimer's disease? How do you know? Do you have any questions about genetic testing? And if you're at risk, are you taking steps you think will help prevention? You can email us at forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. You can also give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Stick with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in today for Mina Kim. And we are talking today about Alzheimer's disease and research and the advances around therapies and testing with Dr. Adam Boxer of UCSF, Dr. Christine Yaffe of UCSF, and Dr. Michael Weiner is here as well. He's a professor of radiology at UCSF and principal investigator of the Alzheimer's disease neuroimaging initiative. Welcome, Dr. Weiner. Excuse me. We have you. Oh, there you are. Hey, Dr. Weiner, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So we were talking uh, ahead of the break about some of what we know about uh, this disease and and how, um, you know, folks potentially get it. But I know you have some personal experience with Alzheimer's, and I thought we could open the segment by hearing a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, When my uh, mother was in her early 90s, she began to become forgetful. Uh, And because I was working in the Alzheimer's field, uh, I started to become concerned. She was living in La Jolla, California, and she had to work up down at UC San Diego. And uh, her, uh, her forgetfulness was progressive. She was initially diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment, and then she developed dementia and a some point that it was very painful uh, for me and for everybody in the family. We essentially had to, uh, she lost her independence and she had to be uh, placed in a uh, memory care facility, which she adapted to and she was quite happy there, lived there for about another five years before she passed away at the age of 101. Wow. (laughs) I mean, we're all going to have some decline by 101, I suppose. Um, Is that? No, 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 actually we're not. We're not. We're not. Not everybody uh, has a mental decline. There are people who are in their late 90s and past 100, and they're very clear. Uh, When people start to have memory problems, it is really due to some kind of a disease process. It's not due to normal aging. Well, knowing that your mother had been diagnosed with this, we were just about to get into this question of testing. Um, Before I come back to you, Dr. Weiner, Dr. Boxer, can you just explain to us what what are these tests? What What are we testing for? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, what we typically do clinically, um, often someone will come into our memory clinic at UCSF or another neurologist or physician's office and say, hey, you know, I'm having trouble remembering things or my loved one is having trouble remembering things, repeating questions, repeating stories, not recalling what we talked about earlier in the day. And so often we'll um, you know, look into their general medical risk factors, as, as Christine mentioned, but we'll do some tests of, of memory. We'll ask them to learn a list of words and see how well they remember it after a few minutes or copy a picture or, or do some other sort of uh, puzzles on paper and pencil. And, and that can be very effective at detecting sort of very subtle or not so subtle change, changes in how people's memory and thinking is doing. Um, the exciting thing, and, and I'm sure we'll get into it more, is that now we have really um, powerful new uh, tests that we call biomarkers. And these are biological tests that, that actually 
can show in a living person who may not even have symptoms yet that they have the biological changes of Alzheimer's disease accumulating in their brain. And this offers us a really amazing window into potentially intervening very early um, or even before symptoms of disease start. Uh, And this might be one of the key factors in uh, really effectively treating the disease. So, Dr. Weiner, is that a test that you would consider taking yourself? Well, right now, I think I'm a pretty cognitively normal person. Uh, And uh, the fact that my mother had uh, dementia, most likely due to Alzheimer's disease, um, means that I am statistically at increased risk to have Alzheimer's disease. But uh, from my personal point of view, uh, I've had all these tests because I participate in my own research. I've had these PET scans and blood tests, but I'm not interested in knowing the results because I don't think there really is anything that I would do right now uh, if I knew that I had the early Alzheimer's disease in my brain. I I mean, I try to, uh, you know, I, I have a healthy diet. I have a very healthy lifestyle. I exercise a lot. I control my blood pressure and so forth. So I'm really doing everything that uh, should be done to uh, prevent the development of Alzheimer's disease. Now, the time may come, and hopefully it will be soon, that we have a way of uh, preventing the development of symptoms with treatment. And there are some trials going on right now that are aimed at that. We could talk more about that. Uh, If it turns out that there is a way to prevent uh, the development of symptoms from people that have early Alzheimer's disease, then certainly testing uh, in somebody who's uh, completely asymptomatic uh, is certainly uh, would be important because it would trigger uh, a treatment. Yeah. Dr. Yaffe, I know uh, there were some headlines recently because the actor who plays Thor, Chris Hemsworth, uh, announced that he had taken these types of tests and found that he was genetically predisposed. Is that how, how you would characterize it. Um, I, I mean, obviously, Dr. Weiner has a different perspective because he's like doing these clinical trials. But if you were a person who had it in your family and you got this test and it said you were disposed, like, what would you do with that information? Yeah, it's a, it's a field that's evolving. So I, I think some of this depends on on people's personality. And, and some people really want to know things, even if there's not much they can do and other people would rather not know. So I think a a lot of this is, is, um, really up to an individual and what they want to know. Um, but in terms of, of the future, you know, I think what, what Adam was getting at is very exciting. This idea that we have a quote blood test. I mean, it used to be that you had to have a a lumbar puncture or a, a fairly expensive, kind of brain imaging, brain scan. And now the field has evolved and and all of us are somewhat involved with this work. The idea that you could have a blood test is really kind of amazing. And and I think that's going to open up a lot of new avenues for prevention and for understanding. So, uh, but but I think one important point for, for all of us is to remember that if you have a disease like Alzheimer's, you might be willing to pay a lot of money and, and really um, withstand side effects that uh, might be unpleasant or, or you know, a, a problem because of the disease. Whereas if we're talking about prevention, it's a really different ballgame. And you have to be thinking much more about, about costs and, and side effects in a different 
mindset. So that's something I think as a field, hopefully we will have to entertain and deal with that if you're thinking prevention, it's a little bit of a different risk benefit than if you're dealing with a, a, a pretty terrible disease that you want to, you're willing to, to you know, um, uh, uh, do more costs and at, at the risk. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to get into the promising therapies in just a second. But first, let's take a caller. Amy is calling from Berkeley. Amy, go ahead. Hi, I just wanted to thank you and the doctor so much for this really important uh, topic that you're discussing. My husband, uh, three years ago, was finally diagnosed with severe dementia. And this was after me telling our doctor for about five years our primary care physician, that I was recognizing the signs of dementia in him um, developing because both my grandparents died of it, my grandmother of Louie body, my uh, grandfather of another form. But that said, it took until from a December diagnosis till the following August when I told her, um, because she this was just a primary care physician, she did not refer us to a neurologist and I thought maybe he had uh, Parkinson's, which his mother had died of. So we were finally referred to a neurologist who very quickly diagnosed from the series of um, MRIs that he had because of many falls, uh, diagnosed him with hydrocephalus, which is another form of um, much not talked about form of dementia that can form in senior citizens because it's attributed to other things. And he had brain surgery, a shunt placed, and is back to normal. He's writing. He's fully abled. He's, I mean, it's, so apparently it's quite an underdiagnosed form of dementia, particularly in seniors, because in senior citizens, dementia is attributed to other facts. So I was just hoping the doctors would talk about this and how easy it is to diagnose and how easy and safe it is to uh, cure for those that it will cure. Thanks for the call, Amy. I really appreciate it. Um, little, little bit of a side, uh, trip there, but Dr. Boxer, um, obviously there's a lot of different types of dementias we've discussed that impacts people, but I know that you and others have been involved in some pretty exciting research and trials, including, and I hope I say these right, lecanemab and donanemab. Is that right? Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> all right. Tell us about those. What are they and how could they be helpful for all? Sure. Sure. Well, um, so, you know, a little earlier we were talking about people who get Alzheimer's disease really early in their family, and it runs in the families. And I think Christine mentioned there's some rare genetic risk factors. And what they do is they increase the amounts of this protein called amyloid in your brain. And people who get Alzheimer's disease often have very large amounts of this protein that, that's, you know, just interspersed with all the nerve cells in the brain and also in blood vessels called amyloid. And um, it's been thought for you know about 25 years or so that if we could just somehow remove the amyloid from people's brains, we might be able to either treat or prevent Alzheimer's disease. And so um, after you know about 20 years of clinical trials of different attempts to do this, we now have drugs that seem to really effectively remove amyloid from people's brains. And lecanemab and donanemab are uh, monoclonal antibodies, so they're genetically engineered proteins like 
like your body would generate to target an infection like a virus, but instead these are genetically engineered to target amyloid protein, and they can really normalize some people's amyloid uh, at, who have Alzheimer's disease or are about to get Alzheimer's disease. And what the clinical trials have shown most recently, and most recently lecanemab just even uh, a few months ago, is that by doing so that many people actually will have a slowing in the progression of their memory and other day-to-day function problems from Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. if you can really get a, a large proportion of the amyloid out of their brains. So a slowing, not a reversal. It's however. not a reversal. Okay. It's about a 30% reduction in the rate of progression over 18 months. And how does that differ from a drug that's already on the market, a dual helm? Because I know there's been some problems with that yeah. therapy. So Aduhelm is also, Aduhelm, is, <laughs> <laughs> or it's a generic name, is aducanumab is, is similar to donanumab and, and uh, um, lecanumab in that it also targets this protein called amyloid and can also remove it to some extent from people's brains. But um, what we know is that not all of these drugs are equivalent, and there are important differences in how they work. Some are more potent than others, and some have more side effects than others. And so aducanumab or Agihelm, even though it received this accelerated approval, seems to be a little bit less potent and may be associated with slightly higher risk of side effects than uh, some of these other drugs, donanumab and, and lecanumab. All right. So if... Well, what do we know, uh, Dr. Yaffe, about if these drugs will come on the market? I know the FDA is is um, looking at, at at these right now. Yeah, I mean, it, um, uh, it, it's really not so clear. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't be able to to to, to uh, guess, but I think, as Adam said, the fact that uh, lecanemab, anyway, the the data look more promising, that it looks look more promising than Aduhelm, so. I think it's likely that it will be approved. Um, but as as many of the listeners know, there's also been a lot of controversy around Aduhelm in terms of why was it approved? And also uh, there was a recent congressional investigation into um, uh, how it was approved and maybe were there some irregularities into the approval process. So I think it may have an effect on the FDA and that this time they may uh, really um, either be, be more cautious or, or um, you know, I, I'm just not sure. But it's an interesting time because on the one hand, lecanemab results seem to be much better. And so one would think it would be approved. On the other hand, given all the controversy and, and the fallout from Adjahelm over the last year or two, I'm just not sure. Yeah. Dr. Weiner, I wonder like what your experiences, um, you know, doing in this neuroimaging initiative and, and talking to folks who are involved in these, like are people who have family members or who themselves are in the throes of this disease really open to kind of any treatment because they're desperate? Because I know there's side effects to a lot of these. Well, I think that everybody wants uh, everybody wants effective treatments, and I think that the especially the recent results from the acylacanumab trial are really the most promising that we've seen. And there's a general hope and some expectation that the Food and Drug Administration will, will may very well give accelerated approval to lecanumab, possibly as early as later this 
week. Um, so that's 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 really big. Uh, now, FDA approval would only be the first step. Uh, then the Center for Medicare Services has to decide if they're going to reimburse for the treatment, and that depends to some extent on the price. So that's all going to play out over coming months. And then we'll also be hearing uh, from Lily's Dinamab trial, and hopefully that will be successful. We are definitely in the treatment era, and currently these uh, studies, these treatment studies are really being done on people who are quite symptomatic, people with mild cognitive impairment and people with an early stage of dementia. What is currently ongoing and will be very important in the future are prevention trials where people who are completely cognitively normal but who have signs of amyloid developing in their brains, so they have Alzheimer's disease pathology developing in their brains, which can be detected by a blood test or a PET scan, and those people are also being treated with these same monoclonal antibodies, such as lecanemab and denalimab. And uh, in the next few years, we will learn as to whether or not preventative treatment prevents the development of symptoms and slows the progression of symptoms. Uh, I think what we all want ultimately is a way of preventing people from getting dementia due to Alzheimer's disease. And I think we see a path forward. It's going to take years. It's going to cost society a lot of money, but it's going to be uh, have huge benefit. All right. Um, we have a couple of comments from listeners I want to get to before our next break. One listener writes, I think so much of our brain decline, dementia, and disease is caused by a lifetime of poor food quality and inactivity and isolation in the elder years. We are biologically not designed to live like we do in the modern society. Talked a little bit about uh, lifestyle choices with uh, Dr. Yaffe earlier. Um John, uh, Gwen writes, I am actively trying to get screened for proteins, et cetera, because I'm in my early 50s and understand this is the only time anything could be currently done about it. I understand it can also be an important benchmark for future diagnoses. However, another huge reason I want to know is to save my loved one's stress and difficulty should I definitely be headed towards needing care later on. I want to put things in place so that they don't have to figure it out at the same time they're dealing with the stress of a decline. Um, and Joanne wants to know, my mom has Alzheimer's. Does this mean I'm at risk? Also, I recently submitted a sample to 23andMe. What should I look for in those results? Dr. Boxer, any thoughts? Yeah, well, those are all really great questions. And I think many of us who get into our 50s have similar concerns. Um, uh, you know, Christine and, and Mike both mentioned that we have these really exciting new blood tests, and um, they seem to be very, very sensitive to uh, Alzheimer's disease uh, biology in the brain and can detect these proteins that cause Alzheimer's disease, either amyloid or another protein called tau, um, in people who already have symptoms, but even in people who may not yet have symptoms yet. But these tests are not yet available for use clinically. And <laughs> they're, not, they're, they're not getting tested on the 23andMe. <laughs> No, and 23andMe is a genetic test, um, and one of the things that it measures is another uh, is a strong genetic risk factor called apolipoprotein E. And again, Christine alluded to this as really a strong risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. But it's important that um, uh, people know that it's that even if you have the risk factor, doesn't mean you'll get sick. And so we right. don't recommend it as a routine test. All right, we'll talk about that more after the break. That was Dr. Adam Boxer, also with us, Christine. Dean Yaffe and Michael Weiner, doctors at UCSF. Stick with us. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. In today for Mina Kim, we are talking Alzheimer's and all the advances in the research and potential therapies with Dr. Adam Boxer. He's an endowed professor in memory and aging and neurology at UCSF. Dr. Christine Yaffe, professor of psychiatry, neurology, and epidemiology at UCSF. And Dr. Michael Weiner, professor of radiology at UCSF. He's also principal investigator of the Alzheimer's Disease Neuroimaging Initiative. If you have questions for our experts, give us a call. Comments about what we're learning about these potential new therapies, you can email us, forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or give us a call at 866-733-6786. Dr. Boxer, before we move on to some more callers, let's finish that thought. You were just saying, don't send in a 23andMe test and then expect that you're going to know like right. the future yeah. of your, your potential diseases. Yeah, we don't really recommend that as a clinical or any sort of genetic testing um, for, you know, risk of Alzheimer's disease to be used clinically in normal people who are, who are you know, just getting older and worried because it's hard to interpret those tests um, and they're often unreliable. Um, so, but I, what I do want to mention is that, um, and, and I think Mike mentioned, alluded to this earlier, that there are clinical trials sponsored by the National Institutes of Health, and there's a big one going on right now at UCSF and elsewhere called the AHEAD study, where if people are interested and are concerned about their risk for Alzheimer's disease, for instance, maybe they had a parent who had it, if you are 55 years or older, you can uh, contact us at UCSF or at other research centers, and we can start um, and we can tell you about this clinical trial of lecanemab for people who do not yet have symptoms. And in this trial, um, people who have uh, amyloid in their brain, first we screen you with a blood test and then uh, with a PET scan are randomized to receive lecanemab and we'll see whether it prevents the onset of symptoms. So again, want to just put that out there for people who might be really worried and interested in participating in research. Uh, Dr. Yaffe, before I go, I just because uh, Dr. Boxer mentioned that, I think we should note that lecanemab has been linked to some brain swelling and mild hemorrhage. Uh, so how risky do you see this? And, and if, yeah, like how should people think about those risks? Yeah, so um, this class of drug in, in, in general, the, the monoclonal antibodies to amyloid, they all seem to uh, have as, as a side effect occasional brain swelling and some um, small areas of bleeding. So 
some, it sounds terrible, but most times people actually don't even have any symptoms. So it's, it's not quite as bad as it sounds, although some people do have symptoms and people are required to be monitored um, occasionally when they're on the trials. So I think it's a, it's a good question. And I think the AHEAD trial will, will address some of this. How common is this in people who don't have symptoms, normal people? We, d- we don't know because we know that if you have Alzheimer's disease, you're at greater risk for getting some of these side effects. So I think it's going to really be important. And again, as I said, when you're trying a drug for prevention versus for treatment, you want to have different criteria in terms of the cost benefit analysis. So I think we we really have to learn more. And everyone's individual. You will, you would be working with doctors on all of this. All right. I want to, I want to bring in Michaela from San Francisco. Michaela, go ahead. Hi, thanks very much for this um, program. I want to address two things, the shame of having dementia and the burden of care on the family is to me prohibitive. Why Why would I learn something that is only bad news when there's so little treatment that can happen? And then secondly, if I choose not to be, I mean, what if I don't have the six to $10,000 a year, a month rather, it costs to live in a, a nice but nonetheless a memory care facility and or if my wife is older than my is older than I am and I can't physically take care of her the cons- the human consequences of these horrible disease are underappreciated and the exit ramps and I use that word intentionally basically don't exist medical aid in dying isn't helpful so Please address the, some of the more human factors. The medicine's fascinating. Go live long and prosper. But we're under addressing the human factors. Thank Thanks. you very much. Thanks, I'll Michaela. take my answer off the air. Yeah, I appreciate it. Dr. Weiner, I mean, Michaela brings up two things, which is, you know, how challenging it can be to live with this disease, but also bigger questions about testing and, like, do people want to know the answers to these questions? Well, and. In answer to your question, it greatly varies. Some people want to know and others don't, and uh, the information should be provided to people that want it. But I think Michaela raises a really big, uh, a, a very important issue, and that is that the care of people with dementia is extraordinarily expensive, and our system in the United States just does not really provide the resources to the community for this. So for those who have sufficient means, they can afford to uh, pay for their family uh, in, in uh, nice care centers. That's great. Uh, but for many, many Americans, uh, the burden of care really falls on whoever in the family is available. And then if family members are not available, it, it, it falls into a system that has very, very limited resources. Not, not every country in the world is like the United States. So most of the countries in Europe uh, provide much more support, uh, uh, medical support. But we don't have a universal health care system here. And it's really the answer to that is political. Yeah. 
Well, I want to uh, uh, read a comment from Una. Well, a question, really. Um, my mother was diagnosed about 10 years ago after noticing symptoms for at least five to six years prior when she was in her 60s. I'm now 46 and interested in having or adopting another child, but I don't want to if I am headed for early dementia. My mother has pretty severe memory issues, but her verbal skills are still quite good and her navigation skills are virtually unaffected. She's very healthy physically, can walk 10 miles a day without much trouble. Does any of this give any indication on genetic life? likelihood for me or my siblings. Dr. Boxer? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, and I think it's it's really hard to um, give an answer to that question. And I would encourage um, the listener to speak with their physician or even come to a specialized center if you're really concerned about that, um, because there are a number of different factors that might be playing a role there can't diagnose her over over no. a comment. Um, Dr. Yaffe, what about this? A listener asks, do the doctors have any suggestions for family members of someone who refuses to get tested for possible cognitive decline or dementia? My father's primary care physician did some basic testing at my mother's insistence and gave him a referral to a specialist, but he won't schedule a follow-up and they won't let his, her mother do it on his behalf. This must be a common issue, she asks. I think it is a common issue. Again, it gets into you know, it's not the science here. It's really, uh, you know, people's autonomy and personalities and wanting to know or not wanting to know. It's very complicated and it it applies to other diseases other than Alzheimer's as well. Um, in this situation, I think one has to respect the autonomy of the individual. So if they really don't want to get further testing, I don't think there's a whole lot one can do other than try and... Um, convince them what the benefits might be. But I think I think Alzheimer's is a very scary disease, understandably. And um, there's, you know, there's a stigma attached to Alzheimer's. And I think people know that it's a, a, a neurodegenerative progressive disease. So sometimes people don't want to know. I, I think what one needs to do is try and explain why it might be helpful to know. Um, you want to rule out other things. Sometimes there are other medical conditions, for example, that could be treatable. So I would try and and explain that it might be helpful to be evaluated just to make sure there's not something else going on that could be treated. Um, And also to have some sense of, of, you know, what's really happening in terms of future and, and providing care. But at the end of the day, I think you can't really force people to, to get tested if, if they really don't want to. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Weiner, We kind of answered this earlier, but I want to end with a couple practical suggestions, which is if somebody was tested and found out they had the gene, what should they do right now? Like we had talked earlier about, you know, healthy sort of habits potentially helping. I know some people think like crosswords or things like that can help keep your mind active. What do you suggest? Well, if somebody is really concerned, I'd follow up on Adam the point that Adam Boxer made, and that is that there are prevention trials going on right now, and if somebody has the gene and they fit into the age group, uh, even though they have absolutely no symptoms, they might have uh, early amyloid uh, developing in their brain. They may qualify to enroll in a prevention trial, so I would encourage that person to, uh, to check that out. In terms of the uh, Modifiable, modifiable risk factors are the things that people can do. Uh, Christine really is the world's expert on that, so yeah. I'll let her answer the question. Dr. Yaffe, what do you think? What, what should people be doing kind of at home on their own, whether maybe if they've been tested or just if they have concerns? 
Yeah, so, um, and, and the earlier question had to do also with midlife, which was sort of interesting. And the the, um, the questioner was saying that midlife is the best time. And I'm not sure we know that for sure. I, I think really there's no, you know, I would say there's no time it's too early, but there's no time that it's too late to try some of these things. There is not, it's not uh, foolproof, but we think that if you target certain risk factors, like being more physically active, being more engaged intellectually, it doesn't have to be crossword puzzles, but just using your brain, um, these things, taking care of your heart uh, risk factors, such as high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity, um, really targeting your sleep, making sure your sleep is as good as possible and ruling out certain sleep disorders, uh, avoiding traumatic brain injury. These are the things that I think have the best evidence. Um, there's some other ones that I think aren't as clear like diet and, and some other factors, but we're learning more and more. And I think if, if you have one of these things, you really want to do as much as you can to, um, to improve those factors. And, and we think that that has a chance of mitigating uh, your risk down the line. Again, it's not one-to-one, but we think that, that it's a, an important strategy. Any truth to the idea that like crossword puzzles or things like that can help stave off dementia? Well, the, again, as I said, I, the concept is, is I think, an important one. This idea that if you use your brain, that uh, that's really, you're learning, you're making new connections. That's the important thing. I don't think it has to be crosswords per se. Thank God, because I, I am terrible at crossword puzzles. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm good or bad. I don't do them. But uh, I think it's the idea of, of using your brain, being active physically and mentally. Yeah. We are talking about advances in Alzheimer's disease research with a panel of UCSF experts. You're listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. All right. Well, we just have a few minutes left. Um, Dr. Boxer, I have a question from Lori. She says, is there a practical testing tool you can recommend for use by a senior independent living facility to sort out whether an applicant is in danger of developing severe Alzheimer's? My reason for asking many senior living facilities deny admission to people who are elderly and present with some dementia. Facilities that lack memory care are cherry picking among senior applicants, leaving many seniors seeking a safe, independent senior living arrangement out of office. Yeah, well, I mean, just to, again, just to reiterate, it, it's a real challenge uh, in this country where we don't have a nationalized health care system to take care of people with memory problems. And um, it's unfortunate that some care facilities will not um, allow people with memory problems into their facility. Um, and they do use screening tests that are, one's called the mini mental state, um, which is pretty commonly uh, used to and is sensitive to people with memory problems. And that's, I think, not inappropriate. Yeah. Um, Bill writes, I have a friend who often tells me he's not at home, but staying in a place that looks like at home when he is at home. Um, he argues that the key in his pocket won't fit the other place. He's unable to locate his car. Uh, this person says, the problem is he lives alone. I don't know if he has any relatives. I fear he's going to get hurt by wandering off. I don't know if there's any agency that can help him. I don't know if this is something, uh, Dr. Yaffe or Dr. Weiner, you want to jump into, but it does seem like a lot of people just are confused about how to help the folks in their life who, who may be suffering from dementia or potentially Alzheimer's. Uh, yeah. You know, I think, go ahead, Christine. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> Dr. Weiner, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, 
yeah, I think the best thing to do with that friend is try to have an honest conversation with the friend. Uh, tell the friend you love him. Uh, tell a friend that you are concerned that he may be developing a problem uh, and uh, try to help your friend get appropriate uh, medical medical care yeah. for it. It's That's tough. all you can do. Yeah, it's really it, it is hard. Yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna add. I, I agree totally. But um, but if 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 someone's very concerned about you know possible neglect or abuse, you can also call uh, adult protective services, which is you know something important to remember. Yeah. Um, and that's really you know more uh, egregious you know concerns, but still. Right. Uh, and I think we could do an entire it. hour on like. This yes. challenge of, 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 of dealing with folks um, who, you know, may not be ready to, for the diagnosis. Or, um, I do want to uh, squeeze in one last caller. Victoria from Santa Rosa is on the air. Victoria, go ahead. Hi. I don't know if you already addressed this, but I was wondering if there's um, higher instances with women with having Alzheimer's or dementia and if there's any kind of correlation with uh, menopause. Great question. Thanks, Victoria. Uh, Dr. Boxer? Yeah, so there, you know, it's been understood for some time that the um, sometimes the rates of getting Alzheimer's disease and ages can be a little bit higher in women, and there's some exciting new science that may explain some of this, um, and that is that um, the this tau protein, which is part of Alzheimer's disease biology, um, it appears to be cleared by nerve cells, and and that prevents Alzheimer's disease in some people. But in women, there's actually a genetic difference in their ability to clear the tau protein, and that may explain part of the risk and why, for instance, if you have this genetic risk factor, apolipoprotein E4, um, the risk is higher in women than in men. So, um, Does menopause, do we know anything we, about? There, there's all, we don't exactly know why. Uh, menopause also often is associated with cognitive issues. Some may be related to Alzheimer's. Some may be related to other hormonal changes. Uh, and so it's important, if you're concerned, to contact your physician. Yeah. Um, Dr. Yaffe, just coming back to you for a, a final thought in terms of what's ahead. You said FDA could approve some of these soon. How? What would happen next? The, would these therapies hit the market immediately, pretty quickly? As Mike mentioned, uh, it, it would take some time, I think. Um, if, if the FDA approves, then then they then become available, but but then it's a complicated question of how would the cost be um, offset and you know, would insurers pay and would healthcare systems offer this? So it, it, it really will, would need to unfold, I think, over the next year or so. All right. And that, again, could be a whole topic hour on insurance and how these therapies are paid for. Well, I want to thank my guests. You've been listening to Forum. We have been talking about Alzheimer's disease and the uh, ongoing research into it. Dr. Christine Yaffe is the Roy and Marie Scola Endowed Chair Professor of Psychiatry, Neurology, and Epidemiology and Psychiatry at the UCSF Wheel Institute for Neurosciences. Dr. Yaffe, thank you so much. My pleasure. Dr. Mark Weiner's professor in residence in radiology and a biomedical imaging medicine, psychiatry, and neurology at the University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Weiner, we really appreciate your time. 
been my pleasure. And with me in studio holding it down, Dr. Adam Boxer. He's an adult professor in memory and aging in the Department of Neurology at UCSF and directs UCSF's Neurosciences Clinical Research Unit and the Alzheimer's Disease and Phronotemporal Degeneration Clinical Trials Program at UCSF's Memory and Aging Center. Dr. Boxer, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Thank you all. Thanks to our callers and listeners. And best of luck with your work. We'll be following it. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.